now, back to Sports 56 Mornings. Isn't it a lovely morning? On Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. This hour brought to you by James Gaddis Jewelers. Here once again, Greg Gaston and Eli Savoy. Welcome back, everyone. 803 the time. Hour number two here on Sports 56 Mornings, the Monday, October 9th, 2023 edition. I am Greg Gaston, back in the saddle again. Eli Savoy, Zach Boyd, we're with you from the Family Leisure Studios. Family Leisure, the world's biggest spa sale, continues at 2120 Witten Road, just north of I-40. Currently 56 degrees, sunshine. We're looking at a high today of about 81, and tonight mostly clear with a low of 55 once again, sunny skies tomorrow with a high of 80 degrees. The second hour of the program is brought to you each and every day by our friends at James Gaddis Jewelers. They are your family's jeweler. 4,900 Poplar between Mendenhall and St. Nick and on the web at GaddisJewelers.com. And each Monday and Friday, they bring you the Memphis Sports Fact. Did you know, with their 4 nothing win over El Paso on Saturday, Memphis 901 FC now only needs a tie in their final game this Friday at New Mexico to secure... Fourth place and a fourth place finish in the USL Championship East. And that would be a first round playoff home match at AutoZone Park. So again, a minimum tie on Friday at New Mexico. And the Memphis 901 FC will open up the playoffs at home at the friendly confines of AutoZone Park. James Gaddis Jewelers, your bridal engagement and anniversary jeweler headquarters. They are full service jewelers with two bench jewelers ready to serve you. All their diamonds are independently graded and certified, so they know there's a lot of competition. They make sure there's a price point to suit everyone's budget, whether it be an engagement ring, wedding rings of any types, or all their other terrific jewelry, including watches and bracelets, necklaces, earrings, pendants, so much more. It's James Gaddis Jewelers, 4900 Poplar between Mendenhall and St. Nick, and on the web at GaddisJewelers.com. Got a text and a couple things to get to, but the... Uh, AAC Basketball Media Day, they have released the coaches' selections, the preseason selections, uh, voting by the coaches of the league. Um, And Florida Atlantic is the pick by the coaches to win. Uh, They get 11 of the 14 first-place votes. Memphis gets the other three first-place votes. Florida Atlantic, 167 points. Memphis, 159. Tulane is third. Then it's UAB, East Carolina, North Texas at 6th, SMU 7th, Wichita State 8th, South Florida 9th, Tulsa 10th, Rice 11th, Temple 12th, Charlotte 13th, and UTSA picked to finish last in the American Athletic Conference in men's basketball. This is a bad conference. It's a bad conference, but two really, really good teams. Florida Atlantic were stunning the college basketball world last year with their run, and they got the bulk of that team back. And of course, the Memphis Tigers, a lot of high expectations from this team this year, which is basically a brand new team with the transfer portal being utilized by Penny Hardaway. So certainly it looks like a a two-horse race um, maybe there could be a surprise. Tulane certainly has the ability. Uh, they have a good coach and some quality players. But really, from top to bottom, when you look at that conference after you get through the first couple, it is not a strong conference. 
Two Florida Atlantic players share preseason player of the year honors. Janelle Davis and Elijah Martin, um, I guess, tied in the voting for preseason player of the year. Two Memphis Tigers share preseason rookie of the year. Carl Sharonfant and J.J. Taylor, both named to the as preseason rookie of the year. Uh, Friend of the show, Carl Sharonfant, who we had then last week. In the preseason all-conference first team, one Tiger makes that. That's Javon Quinterly. And one Tiger makes second team preseason all-conference. That is Jordan Brown. So you got two Tigers, Quinterly and Brown, named preseason all-conference. Well, you have a chance to see some other names in the end up there as far as all-conference players. Jaquan Walton certainly has the opportunity. Caleb Mills certainly has the opportunity. But it makes a lot of sense with Quinterly coming from Alabama, senior point guard, and Jordan Brown, who I think is an absolutely terrific player. The first-team preseason all-conference, Eric Gaines from UAB. You mentioned Davis and Martin from Florida Atlantic, two guards. Javon Quinterly, and then Jalen Forbes from Tulane. So you have mostly guards on that team. doesn't have to be two guards, two forwards, and a center. Obviously, it is not. That second team, R.J. Felton from East Carolina, Jordan Brown, Max Fielder, from Rice, Zurich Phelps from SMU, and Kevin Cross, who has been at Tulane since the Fillmore administration. Uh, the women, the the Memphis women, they were picked fifth in the preseason poll um, behind South Florida, East Carolina Rice, and SMU. And Madison Griggs named a preseason all-conference first-team member. Yeah, South Florida has been the cream of the crop of that conference ever since UConn left really well coached. They go out and they get international players galore. But it's pretty wide open. And and Memphis certainly taking steps under Katrina Merriweather and now under Alex Simmons hoping to continue to do that. So that's that's strong. Picked fifth. I think Memphis can uh, make a lot of noise as far as the women are concerned. I think it's going to be a banner year, to be honest with you, from both the men and women combined. Uh, text on the Sports 56 listener line, 901-360-8255, 901-360-8255. That is the Sports 56 listener line. If you want to chime in, you are certainly welcome to do so. Uh, listener says, the defense for LSU is extremely young and missing Brooks, who's battling cancer and was the defensive QB. You can't replace a guy like that overnight, but they did step up the end of the game and they actually won the game for LSU. Credit where credit is due. Again, they had the pick six at the end to cover the spread. Um, But in the last three games, they've given up 125 points and 1,659 yards. While I feel terrible for Brooks, who's battling cancer, and and he is a big loss. You still have Harold Perkins. You still have Major Burns. You still have, it's LSU, for goodness sake. Like, you've got four and five-star guys walking everywhere on that defensive side of the ball. They should never be giving up 1,650 yards in a three-game stretch against anybody in the world. These aren't, they didn't play the Miami Dolphins three times. They're having an offseason defensively. I mean, just, just admit to it. Okay, yeah, there are, there are issues and certainly a sad story, but they're not as good as they've been. They'll be back. LSU will continue to get amazing talent on both sides of the ball. They'll be back. And this, who did I say they play this week? Auburn? Is it Auburn this week? Yes. Auburn has no offense, so I'm sure the numbers will be good this week. LSU's just not real good defensively this year. Just accept it. Doesn't mean they're they're a bad football team. They're not. But 
as you said earlier in hour one, you can't expect your offense to outscore every opponent, and thus a couple of losses already for LSU. All right, let's go around the nation because there were some very interesting games from college football on Saturday, uh, none bigger than the Red River, Red River rivalry, he tried to say. Oklahoma and Texas, another doozy. But the Sooners, who got obliterated last year by Texas, obliterated, and it looked like maybe they were improved, but come on. Texas, the way they're going, no way the Sooners win this football game. They win. Oklahoma 34, Texas 30. I know Oklahoma is a great program, and I know they've been playing a lot better this year under Brent Venables. I did not see that one coming. I thought Texas would win that game, and got to give credit to Oklahoma. Got to give credit to Dylan Gabriel. Dylan Gabriel was awesome in this game, and that the the the, the game winning last touch, year was the difference, right? He didn't play the game winning touchdown. It, I I mean. I lost him. I thought he was sacked. <laughs> and all of a sudden, like the ball just emerged out of there, and now and the guy's wide open to the back of the end zone. But I mean, just the way he ran, everything like he was calm under pressure. He he was absolutely awesome. And Texas certainly still should have won the game. Can't punch the ball in after first and goal from the one. Um, the turnovers very costly from Quinn Ewers. Um, you know, the defense can't get that stop on that final drive where they needed to. Texas had every opportunity to win the game. and uh, But, no, yeah, Oklahoma was – Gabriel was absolutely awesome in that game. Yeah, he started at UCF, right? Was that a uh, Gus Malzahn recruit, Dylan Gabriel? No, Dylan Gabriel was there before Malzahn. Was he before Malzahn? he left when Malzahn came. Oh, really? Okay. I thought he had been there when he was there. But, anyway, um, he's very, very talented. Very, very talented. And last year, did he did he start and get hurt or was never available yeah. last year? In, in the, the game? Texas game, I yes. can't remember for sure. What but it. they didn't, you know, either the bulk of the game or at all, they didn't have the guy. Uh, he's a difference maker. But Quinn Ewers, to make those mistakes that he made, was the difference in this game. You In, in a game of rivals, a game that's expected to be close, despite what happened last year, the one who makes the most mistakes is going to lose the football game. And yours, who has been playing extremely well, made mistakes. He made a lot of mistakes. And Texas loses that football game. So I, I know Texas is still in the mix. And good chance they could play again. But that really hurts. Let's be honest. That really hurts. When you look around the nation and how many teams are in the mix, they all count. And to lose to the rival, to lose that way, when you had a chance to be that close, give up a late touchdown to Gabriel, what a job by him, and what a job by Oklahoma to rally to win. And what a job by Brent Venables. I mean, last year, people were questioning whether or not he was the right guy. After Lincoln Riley took off and went to Southern California, Brent Venables showing everybody, or at least proving a lot of people wrong this year with what the team has done so far. Yeah, there's I, in a very good chance that we'll get the rematch. And then if Texas were to win that, it's interesting because it would not only be a one-and-one, one, but if, and if that's the, the only loss for both teams— they're both played on neutral fields, so you wouldn't be able to. <laughs> there's not even a home thing to discern from. Um, but it will be that they both, you know, obviously Oklahoma, but Texas is still very much in the running. I don't know how they would judge it at the end if Texas end up winning a really close game in a Big 12 championship game. Mm-hmm. I guess because they would be conference champions, maybe they would get the benefit of the doubt. Plus, the win at Alabama keeps looking better and better, too. But, um, but yeah, they're both right there in the running and could set up another. 
a, a rematch of that. And, and if Texas wins that, a very interesting decision to be made. But in the end, a split could screw the conference. Could screw the conference. Doesn't mean it will, but it could screw the conference depending on what else is happening around college football. I think right now we're looking at the Pac-12, and they got a huge one this weekend with Oregon and Washington, two future Big Ten teams. But we already see the cannibalism going on. We saw this past weekend USC barely survived, but I don't think they're getting a lot of uh, confidence from voters when Arizona takes them to the woodshed there for a while, and then they have to you know, come back from 17 nothing down to win in triple overtime 43-41. Yes, I know they won the football game, but USC, speaking of defense, right? We, we much maligned LSU defense. USC doesn't have any defense. Then you had UCLA beating Washington State, which was rough for Washington State. So I think there's going to be a lot of that going on in the Pac-12, which will benefit a conference like the Big 12 if Oklahoma and Texas end up splitting. Now, if Oklahoma and Texas get to the championship game, Oklahoma wins again, they're in. I mean, it's not going to be an issue. They're going to be in. But right now, I look at the national scene, I see Georgia, and I see Michigan. Michigan rolled over Minnesota 52-10. to We'll see what happens when they play Penn State, when they play Ohio State. Right now, they seem to be a team that's a little bit bored. Um, And then there was the craziness in Miami. The ACC is actually pretty fun this year to watch with a a number of teams, including Florida State, as good as they are. North Carolina, are they really this good? Miami was undefeated going into that game. They didn't show me much, but they were still undefeated. They should still be undefeated today. I cannot believe what happened in that football game. I am watching that game, and all they have to do is take a knee. Mario, I don't know why, well, they're paying him a lot of money. I understand why he has a job. But he has done this in his past. Somebody's head needed to roll after that game, to lose that game. To all those young men who put their blood, sweat, and tears out there on the field for a coach to make a blunder like that, May who knows? May have cost Miami a spot in the playoffs, depending on everything that happens. It was horrible, absolutely atrocious for a coach being paid as much money as that coach is being paid to make a decision like that. Yeah, I, I did not know, but apparently that's his thing. He doesn't kneel on the ball at the end of games. They they run plays. Um, if you look back earlier games, and I don't know if it's always been that way in his career. Well, it's stupid. But I know this year. Um, you know, they were up 37-3 to in their opener. They were still running the ball, never kneeled down at the end of that game. So, I don't know why that's his thing. I wonder if maybe he'll change now and decide that. <laughs> but even if even after the fumble, though, like beyond like the, the, the play to give up the, the guy behind you for the touchdown right. is just awful. But, like there, there were many th- steps to losing that football game. They were all awful, but certainly it starts. I, I just don't know why that would be a coach's, why as a coach you don't, just kneel on the ball. Like I don't know. I don't know what the theory is of why you're not kneeling on the ball at the end of games. Yes, your point is well taken. It's atrocious after that blunder to give up the touchdown. Completely understand that. They should have never, ever, ever, ever been in that position. The game was over. So I don't even care what happened that they gave up the touchdown. The I was going to 
crucify this guy no matter what, even if they won the football game. You cannot do that. And yes, it looked like the guy was probably down, but they called it a fumble on the field. They did not have enough to overturn it. I understand all that, so I don't need people to call in or text in about that. The bottom line is, when you could take a knee and end the game, you take a knee. And don't bring up... Well, you can bring it up if you want, but Herm Edwards... The whole deal with the Giants and the Eagles, that whole thing from years and years ago. If you don't know what I'm talking about, folks, look at the videotape. Don't hand it off. Take a knee. Game is over. We're not talking about this. We're not talking about the lunacy of Mario Cristobal. And again, a track record where he's done this before. Yeah, again, I... I had no clue that that was his thing, I, and I think it was Dan Wolken that posted the. And, so I, and I, I haven't looked back at like when he was at Oregon. I don't know if he did it, it in Oregon. Yeah, I don't know if when in Oregon they did this all the time. If he's just does it, if he just refuses to kneel on the ball or not. I have no clue, but I know this year they've had a plenty of big leads and they've had the ball at the end of the game and they just they don't kneel down. That's that's not their thing. Louisville is unbeaten at six and zero. I don't think they're good, but they're six and zero. They beat Notre Dame 33-20. to They hold Notre Dame to 20 points. Notre Dame should have lost last week to Duke. I don't know. I don't know if Freeman's the guy. I really don't. I know last year was first year, and they made some mistakes early, and they got better. They have two losses already, should have three. The mistakes that they made going for it when he went for it on 4th and eleven. I don't know. I mean, this is Notre Dame losing by double digits to Louisville. The times have changed, my friend. Well, first of all, Jeff Brom is obviously knows what the hell he's doing. He knows what he's doing. Um, fantastic coach, and that job he's doing at Louisville—that's that—that's amazing to do it to be year one and already have this to this point. Um, it's yeah, Notre Dame. I don't know that just turnovers. It was just ugly, ugly in every way, and they just never could get out of their own way. Um, you know, it it doesn't look good for Freeman. Again, you go back to the ten men on the field situation against Ohio State uh, last week. Took the fourth and sixteen Sam Hartman miracle to you know, win that game against Duke after blowing a thirteen nothing lead. Now you get handled by Louisville. Um, you've got USC coming up now. USC lucky to be unbeaten still as well. They very well could have lost that game. Their defense is absolutely awful, much like uh, every other defense that Lincoln Riley's ever had. But it doesn't look real good for uh, for Notre Dame right now when you consider what is ahead on the schedule. Irish lost four games last year in his first year. Okay, they lost four games. They have to play USC this weekend who they lost to last year, 38-27. Now, they get them at home. They get them in South Bend. But they got to play USC. They still got to go to Clemson. Okay, Clemson still has a pulse. They're not bad. They still have to play Clemson. There could be two more losses on this year's schedule. This is not this is not Notre Dame. I, I don't know how many Aeroparsegian lost when he started and Lou Holtz when he started and all these coaches for Notre Dame. But this is not good if you're an Irish fan to see this many losses here in less than two years for Coach Marcus Freeman, to be honest with you. I I just don't know. And then you look at the ACC, and Louisville, like you said, what a job Brom has done. They're 6-0, for goodness sakes. 6-0 in this conference. And this conference is actually pretty good. 
They're 6-0. Florida State's 5-0. North Carolina's 5-0. Duke's 4-1. Should have beaten Notre Dame. They should still be undefeated. Clemson's 4-2. NC State's 4-2. And And Georgia Tech got a miracle win over Miami. So you still have, you know, Syracuse is not a bad team at 4-2. And and Miami's still at 4-1. The ACC is pretty competitive. Pretty competitive. And of course, Notre Dame, while independent in football, is still playing a lot of games against ACC competition. But that was not good at all. We'll get the thoughts of one Barrett Salee when we return. Talk both uh, the AC or the um, SEC and, of course, the national picture in college football. Then later on in the show, we'll get to Major League Baseball as the divisional series continue and talk about the National Football League with one game to go in Week 5. That's tonight's game on Monday Night Football between the Packers and the Raiders. And we'll have that game for you starting with the pregame here on Sports 56 at 7 o'clock. I, if we could get a um, – and it might uh, – no, it won't be a New Year's Six anymore, but if we could get somehow get a bowl game – between USC and LSU, I would love to see the final score of that game. <laughs> I, there might be two thousand yards if those two teams played each other. What I, would be the number, Mister Vegas? What would what would you put? Not in? high enough. Seventy-two. I would, I'll, oh gosh, seventy-two. Each team might score seventy-two in that game. Well, yeah, but you're never going to see a number like ninety or something like that because obviously they want to have as many people on each side picking it. You know that. I, I've never. What's the highest number you've ever seen? In college football? Uh, I know there's been some over 80, I believe. Okay. I don't know for sure what the, the highest number ever is, but I'll tell you, they can't set a number high enough for LSU <laughs> and USC. Like, it, there's no, there is no number high enough with those two defenses and those two offenses going head to head. It would be impossible. East Coast Wings and Grill, folks, uh, with the Grizzlies now just around the corner as far as regular season games go NFL, college football, Tiger basketball, all that's going to be getting started. Well, when it's all on, the one place to go, that's East Coast Wings and Grill to watch all of the action while enjoying great food and great drinks. You can go on over there and enjoy 60 different flavors of wings that you have to choose from, all available in different heat indexes as well. Of course, being Monday, that means it's a special day. That means the boneless wings are just 75 cents all day, each and every Monday at East Coast Wings and Grill. While enjoying those wings, you can also have a cold beer. they got 24 draft beers on tap, plus plenty of other beers to choose from, any other drink that you want. And again, TV's all over the place for you to watch all of the action. Playoff baseball is going on. Great chance to go watch that tonight, along with the Monday night football game, all at East Coast Wings and Grill, located just off Highway 64, right there between Lowe's and Walmart on Kate Hyde Boulevard. That's where you'll find East Coast Wings and grill. Barrett Salee joins us next from CBS Sports. This is Sports 56 Mornings with Greg and Eli on Real Sports Talk, Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. We are Real Sports Talk, Sports 56 WHBQ. Available on your radio dial at 560 AM and 98.5 FM as well as around the world online at sports56whbq.com. Take us with you everywhere by downloading the Sports 56 app. And at home, just say, Alexa, play Sports 56. Wherever you are, stay tuned in to Real Sports Talk. Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Now back to Sports 56 Mornings on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. This hour is brought to you by James Gaddis Jewelers. Genuine diamonds, baby. Here once again, Greg Gaston and Eli Savoy. Running out of self-control, getting close to 
Welcome back, everyone. Halfway home on this Monday edition of Sports 56 Mornings. If you missed it earlier, American Conference Basketball Media Day down in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. University of Memphis men picked to finish second behind Florida Atlantic. And the University of Memphis women picked to finish fifth. South Florida picked to win on the women's ledger. It is Monday. It's college football season. It's time to talk to Barrett Salih. It's time to talk some college football. Joining Greg and Eli is Barrett Salee from CBSSports.com, CBS Sports HQ, and Sirius XM Radio. Here's Barrett Salee with Greg and Eli. It is always a pleasure to talk to Barrett Salee. We do it each and every Monday during the college football season. You can follow him on Twitter at Barrett Salee. Barrett, you going to the game tonight? I am. I am. I, uh... I don't know what time we're leaving yet, but I got a parking pass and uh, the local sports station, the the uh, flagship of the Atlanta Braves, has a uh, has a party starting at noon. Uh, they're right across the stadium, or right across the battery from from Truist Park. So, yeah, going to try to get some work done, bring my computer, and uh, hopefully not work from the six eighty the fan offices. But just just in case, take a beer or two, go back to my buddy's desk. Right story and the game. <laughs> there you go. I, I I'd wish you good luck normally, but uh, you, you kind of know the circumstances. But yeah, it's a uh, it's a big one. It's a big one certainly for uh, the Bravos. Try to even up that series. Well, I hope you had a great weekend. The um, the Miami Hurricanes fandom did not. Um, we were just talking about this. I it, it's inexcusable. I I the guy has a track record for doing this. What what? Is he thinking, Barry? How can you possibly think, if you're a coach, to do something like that or not do something that you should be doing? Because now you are jeopardizing all that hard work by every member of that program because of his stupidity, pure stupidity. Yeah, if I'm a player, I'm furious with my head coach right now because not only was it a loss, I mean, it could have knocked you out of the playoff hunt, legitimately. Could have knocked you out of the playoff hunt. And... You had a chance at a signature win next week or this week, I should say, against Notre Dame. You still have Florida State down the schedule. If if you win that game against Georgia Tech and you lose one of those games to North Carolina or Florida State or whoever, you're still in the title hunt, right? So mm-hmm. to me, it was inexcusable. It's it's one of those things where you know you ask what was he thinking. I can tell you what he's thinking, and he'll never tell you. He wanted to get that dude over the hundred yard mark, one hundred percent. Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Mark. I didn't even if, think about that. If that, and, and I, I believe that's the case, and that is one of the most horrible decisions and horrible way to look at how you operate as a head coach. It's just there's no way you can operate that way. And uh, look, I know a lot of folks said it's a fireable offense. It's it, it's not a fireable offense right now, like within the vacuum, but. It definitely changes what the sort of threshold is to lose your job. I just wonder if they get put in the same situation. Is he finally going to decide to kneel on the ball, or is he going to continue to do this? He better. I mean, <laughs> you he think better. so? You would think but no, he did no, the no, same no. thing. He did the same thing at Oregon against Stanford in what was it, 2018? I think 19, whatever it was. That is, I mean, he's got that track record, so. I mean, I, I can't explain it. If I'm a Miami fan, I, I can't tell you. I, and I, I posed this question on my show yesterday morning on, on Sirius XM. 
what as a fan, what would you rather happen? Forget to not kneel on the ball and then lose like what happened Saturday night or lose 70 to nothing. I'd rather lose 70 to nothing. I would too. I mean, you just I mean, obliterate. Game I mean, was over. Look, I mean, come on. Am, that, I, am I at the game? No, you're not at the game. Okay, if I'm at because if I'm at the game, I definitely want that. I do not want seventy to nothing. Right, right. right. <laughs> I don't. I say I don't. No, I don't Although want more beers for you. Seventy to nothing. No, because that's just then you've turned it off in the first quarter. It's like there's not even any entertainment factor for the game. All right. Speaking of games that were extremely entertaining as they usually are, the Red River rivalry games, Texas and Oklahoma. Oklahoma gets them this time, 34-30. I don't know what your expectations were, Barrett, but that's a a huge one for Venables. It is, because uh, I think there were Venables doubters, and I honestly think there were Venables doubters even going into that game, because you know last year was last year, and this year you hadn't really done it with the smoke and mirrors that you were undefeated, or was, was it legit? Is there a reason to actually get excited? Well, he proved that there's actually a reason to get excited. And that, um, that's huge for that fan base because I think there was some concern, um, you know, after, certainly some concern after last season and, and even some, you know, sort of an attitude of wait and see. Um, now you don't have to wait and see. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think right now it was huge for Oklahoma. It was validation for Dylan Gabriel. Even though he didn't have statistically a great game, he had a great game, <laughs> you know, so – uh, it was it was everything that Oklahoma fans could have wanted, and the thing about it, if you're Texas, you hate losing to your rival. You're probably going to get another shot. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and that's the way you have to look at it and, and think. You know what? It sucked. You hate losing that game. You hate losing in Dallas. You, you hate everything about it. But you're probably going to get it. If you take care of your business, you're going to get another shot. You're going to get a chance to avenge that loss. And if you do, all is well. Everything's still in front of you. And that's a weird part is because if they do that, they'll have played twice and they're both on neutral fields. So you can't even say, well, yeah, that one was at home. <laughs> they'll both they'll have played twice on neutral fields. And if they end up splitting them, how do you try and separate those two teams? I think you um, – well, I think first off, what's the rest of their schedule look yeah. like? Because and the Texas win at Alabama is huge. Yeah, and, and but I also think if if Texas's only loss is um, is Oklahoma, and then you go and beat Oklahoma, well, you can say, well, they beat everybody on their schedule. They, right. It just took them right. twice to beat Oklahoma. They advanced right? the loss. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and so I think for Texas, that's that's how you explain it away. If you're Oklahoma, you say, okay, we beat it. You kind of go transit of property, right? You beat a team that beat Alabama. Um, you beat a team with Texas, whoever else they beat, right? You know, whatever other good win they have. You kind of have to go transit of property a little bit um, because you can't say, hey, when everything was on the line, we won. Because yeah. it's not true, you know? So I think it would it would benefit Texas a lot more uh, because you, you can say, we beat everybody on our schedule. It just took us 120 minutes instead of 60. <laughs> the... Um- Texas A&M, the other team out of Texas, who once again had had a great chance, and I don't know, it just Jimbo makes some weird decisions. The fourth and one to not go for <laughs> the forty five yard line, I don't get it. Like I, I when they were, I thought they were going to win the game, and then when they were up seventeen ten at the half, I still thought they were going to win the game, and then in the second half, they just couldn't do anything. Yeah, it was borderline malpractice, not like <laughs> Mario Cristobal malpractice. I don't think anything <laughs> at that level, but it was. 
it was almost like he panicked a little bit. And that's really unlike him because usually he's just stubborn. He's going to do things his way and he doesn't care about the situation. It was almost like the reverse. And, and I don't, and, and I thought about this during the game and, and I don't know if there's validity to it, but I'm wrong about a lot of stuff and I'm dumb. So maybe this is dumb, but <laughs> is, is it one of those things where, okay, Jimbo ceded power to Bobby, maybe his mindset has changed and he's going to be, you know, he's going to be more susceptible to being, you know, he's going to be less stubborn in all aspects. And maybe that's, this is part of it. I don't know. Like it was, it was bad for, for Jimbo. Uh, I feel bad for those players because they played their tails off. Uh, but you know, for A&M to be in that situation this year, I think, especially considering all that's going on with, with the quarterback situation, it's still, I wouldn't say moral victory, but they have to be happy still with where the program is because I don't think anybody, myself included, thought that they would be fighting for the front-runner status in the SEC West against Alabama the first weekend in October. I don't, there are not a lot of people who thought that. Well, they're staring at a third loss overall this weekend because they got to go to Knoxville. Tennessee rested. Um, Tennessee trying to hang in there because they're going to get an opportunity against Georgia, although I think it's going to fall on deaf ears. But this Texas A&M team trying to avoid three losses on the season to this point through seven games at Tennessee this weekend. How do you see that one? I still, I mean, I can't buy Tennessee. I I know Tennessee fans hate to hear that, but I'm having a hard time still buying Tennessee. I do not trust Joe Milton. I mean, I flat out don't. I mean, and I don't think there's a whole lot he's done this year to, to make me change that. There have been moments. There have been little blips on the radar. And, you know, maybe the bye week helps. You know, certainly a bye week going into a big game at home is, is about exactly how you want it to, to work out. But I, I just, I can't trust him. And But I also don't know if I trust A&M now. Mm-hmm. Because... You know, it was like, oh, their defensive front was incredible for the for the two games leading up to Alabama. They're surely gonna gonna take control, um, you know, against Alabama's offensive line, which is flat out horrible. And that didn't happen. It did at times. It was weird in that game. It was like Alabama's offensive line was either awesome or horrible, and there was nothing in between. <laughs> um, you know, so can can they recapture that magic? Can Texas A&M recapture that magic? I I don't know. <laughs> it's so hard to figure them out. So. Um, to me, I, I, I don't I don't know what the line will be when things kick off. I would love to see how it moves throughout the week, but I just, it's hard for me to trust Joe Milton. It well, just really is. I'm, I'm with you against a defense that probably will put pressure on him. I'm not trusting Joe Milton. <laughs> I just I, I I cannot I can't get myself to to do that. Um, speaking of trust, once again the. USC gets the win, but they cannot trust their defense um, <laughs> as they. And I said, if if USC and LSU played right now, how many points do you think would be scored in that game? Oh, eighty-five. <laughs> <laughs> I, I said seventy-two I, I for no runner. I, 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 I know. If you joking. set it at eighty-five, I think I might go over. I said they'll never set it defenses that could ever stop the other offense. But I they'll just, set it at crazy. seventy-two or something like that. Yeah. But USC, man, it's like I don't, I don't know what it is with Lincoln, why he can't get a defense. But I mean, Greg Caleb Williams again bails them out. But I mean, there's losses coming on that schedule. Like when they, I mean, some of those offenses they're going to have to play are going to put up, you know, fifty points against them just because they, as you will, because they have pulses. Yes, 
<laughs> I mean, sometimes it is that easy. And, like, I mean, it's, it is a Lincoln problem because he did the same thing at Oklahoma. He's doing the same thing now. And I know there are folks that say, well, give him more time. It's like you have the transfer portal, and he's really good at the transfer portal, theoretically. Like, how much time does he need to fix this? It, to me, it's a, it's a, it's a problem of, of, of his philosophy, and I just don't think that he's willing to change it. I am going to be fascinated this weekend at Notre Dame because mm-hmm. Notre Dame can't move the football. Yeah. So how, how is this going to work out? But then you look uh, moving forward, Utah, Washington, at Oregon, UCLA is still pretty darn good. They might be a five-loss team. Legitimately, there are, there are ways for them to be a five-loss team. And I think four or three, like that should be the expectation for USC. Uh, we, did, we do our CBS 133 rankings. They're coming out in about uh, 15 minutes or an hour, 15 minutes, I should say. And I can tell you my ballot, I had USC 16. Mm-hmm. I, I don't care that they're undefeated. Like, legitimately don't care. They're not a good football team. I, right? right now you feel like Washington would score will score 60 against them. Well, yeah. Well, Washington starts out with 21 points. Like, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm convinced that Washington starts out with 21 points. So, yeah, they, they might... It, it might be one of those things where they have to slow down to not reach 100. I just don't understand in that particular game. Here's Jed Fish. They have a chance. They can go for two to try to win it, and they don't do it. I I, I don't understand these coaches when they're the team that's supposed to lose. They're the underdog. They have a chance. Right there, they have a team on the ropes, and they never seem to go for it. I don't know why. I don't know why they don't they, – they think for some reason kicking it and, and extending the game, they're going to come out on top. How many times do you see that? The better team normally wins when it comes yeah. to Yeah. Well, and, and I think it, it goes beyond that, too. Uh, I think if you're the bo- and Brian Kelly did this against Alabama, if you're the bottom of the first overtime and you tie it up with a touch, or you can win it with a two point conversion, just run it. Like you have to do it the next overtime. Exactly. Anyway. Yes, yeah. You know, so like, what's the point in six? Like, would you rather go for two to win it in the bottom of the first overtime, or try to go for two in the top of the second overtime and then worry about your defense? Exactly. Like, I, I would. I would absolutely go with. Uh, trying to win it in the first overtime. Of course. Whether you're the favorite or the underdog. Like, no, I don't no, care. No, no, because the, the bottom line is at that now point. now it's up to you. It's at, not at the, at the other team. At that point, you're going to have to have a successful two-point conversion to win the game. Right. That's yeah. like you're basically pretty much it. So whatever your greatest two-point conversion play is, use it there so that you won't ever have to use another one because you start getting to that point where you have to start doing three or four of them, you probably don't have that many plays. But you also control yeah. your own destiny there. If you get it, you win, right? You don't have to worry about that other team. You just have to worry about converting a two-point conversion. On the other, like you said, if you lead off the next inning, if you will, then you still got to worry about what your defense does. So I don't get it. It happens too much in college football. Real real quick, um, we mentioned Washington. Washington-Oregon looks like the marquee game this weekend. Who do you like out there in the Pac-12 in that battle? Oh, man, you're asking me on Monday, and I might change my opinion six, seven times before That's fine. But right now, I would say I believe that Washington is going to win. And the reason I say this is I think they've got a more dynamic offense being at home health, and it's going to be hard for Oregon to slow down that passing attack, not just because Mm -hmm. of Michael Penix, but because they have a ton of great receivers, including Roma Dunday. So, um, 
I'll take Washington, and if you ask me after your next segment, I might change it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, enjoy the game today. I can't wish you good luck, but uh, you know how it is, Barrett. Have fun. <laughs> Definitely going to have fun unless they score. Exactly. We'll talk to you next week, man. Take care of yourself. Bye bye. Fleet Feet, the place to go to get all your running gear. Go see the folks at Fleet Feet in either the Laurelwood Shopping Center in East Memphis or out in Collierville at Poplar and Houston Levy next to the Hueys. You go in there, they take a look at the way you run, the way you walk. They fit you with shoes that are just right for you. We're just a couple of months away from the St. Jude Marathon here in town. So I know a lot of folks are going to be getting ready for that. Make sure you got all the gear that you need, including some shoes that are ready to go, plus any shorts or hats or shirts or all that other stuff. Well, they've got that for you as well. Heck, they could even give you advice when it comes to training for races or getting started running. You want to make sure, though, the number one thing is you have proper shoes for you. And that's what they'll do for you at Fleet Feet. Again, Laurelwood Shopping Center in East Memphis, Collierville at Poplar and Houston Levy, online at fleetfeetmemphis.com and on social media as well, where they keep you up to date with things they've got going on, things that you can get involved with with them at Fleet Feet. Speaking of running, shout out to my lovely daughter-in-law. Dory Sellers completed the Chicago Marathon yesterday, and I think people know that Dory is in her own battle right now with breast cancer. She is unbelievable, the strongest human being I've ever, ever met. Ran the Chicago Marathon and completed it, no issues whatsoever. Congratulations to her. That's insane. That's crazy. I don't, Isn't I, don't I mean, I can't even run from here to my office. Nor can I. This is Sports 56 Mornings with Greg and Eli on Real Sports Talk, Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Add a little fun to your lunch break. Join Johnny Radio for Sports 56 Happy Hour from 11 to 1 every weekday on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Now back to Sports 56 Mornings on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. This hour is brought to you by James Gaddis Jewelers. Diamonds are forever! Woo! Here once again, Greg Gaston and Eli Savoy. Scotty on Twitter, who's a big Tennessee fan, says having a top 25 defense nationally will offset what Joe Milton lacks. That 100,000 plus against AM will make it much easier for Tennessee to run away and hide and set up another CBS game against Bama next weekend. I, I mean, I'm not, I don't think AM certainly is that much better than Tennessee. I just, it's hard for me to trust Joe Milton in a game where I know he's going to have pressure. The question will be can they run the ball against AM's front? If, they, if AM stops them from running the ball, then I love AM in this game because I just am not going to trust trust them. But AM's offense isn't going to do much in all likelihood. Um, but I could see Joe Milton throw like two pick sixes. So that's right. Right now, if you ask me, ask me, I would take Texas AM. I love Tennessee. I'm with you, Scotty. I don't know if they run away and hide, but I, I love Tennessee. I think AM is Coming off that loss, they're very disappointed in losing that game to Alabama. It is hard to pick yourself up, dust yourself off, now get ready to go to Neyland in front of 100,000. You're absolutely right about Joe Milton. There are concerns, certainly, on on my part as far as picking Tennessee. But right now, as we sit here and talk on a Monday before we make our picks on Thursday, and I'm sure Tennessee A&M will be one of the games we pick, I like Tennessee. I really do. It's going to be a fun week of college football. There's not a lot of great matchups per se um, but there are some interesting games like Oregon and Washington. But we have a big one right here in Memphis. Friday night, 
The Tigers and Tulane, two four and one teams, both coming off a bye week. Of course, we'll be talking about this game every single day, including hearing from head coach Ryan Silverfield on Thursday. We'll have our Tiger football report. Last year, you may recall the Tulane jumped out to a 35-0 lead in New Orleans over the Tigers. The Tigers were god-awful. And then in the second half, they found something. And they made it close, and they came back, and they made it a game. They cannot afford to be down by that many points this time around. They can't afford to really get off to a slow start. And Memphis has not gotten off to great starts. But it is going to be pivotal. Yesterday, they were installed as a three-point underdog, Memphis was. Tulane, a three-point favorite. That line is now shifted to three and a half. So a little bit of early money on Tulane, as Tulane is now a three and a half-point favorite over Memphis. This is a big one. You look at uh, how many that Ryan Silverfield has had so far in his coaching career at the University of Memphis. I mean, you can count them on maybe one hand, possibly two, as far as just pivotal games. This is an extremely important game. Um, Our friend Jarvo texted me a little bit earlier. He pointed out, hey, he said Fresno State lost. They did. I had Wyoming in that game, and Wyoming won. It's still kind of wide open in the Mountain West. You still have an undefeated Air Force team. But not only is it important and pivotal, really, for the American Conference, you got to think group of five as well and that New Year's Six game. So this is an extremely important game. It's a Friday night. I know that Coach Silverfield has purchased a bunch of tickets. It is high school football night, so there'll be people that are committed. Very light schedule because of full break. Right. High school football. That's that's fantastic. So, you know, they're hoping to give out a lot of those tickets, but there will be some that have, unfortunately, high school games that they can't make it. But hopefully it will be a great crowd. It will be a nice fall, a crisp fall evening. But, again, this is a big one against Tulane. This is a Tulane team that dealt with Michael Pratt's injury, their quarterback, early in the season. He's back now. They have a pretty solid defense. They don't have Tajay Spears anymore, who's playing for the Tennessee Titans, and that was a big part of their offense last year. Uh, Certainly winnable. Uh, I don't think it'll be easy. This is not one I had picked the Tigers to win, but certainly winnable. And again, 4-1 and teams, one of the better games on paper in all of college football this weekend in uh, Week 7 of the college football season. Winner of the game has a great track to the conference championship game. So if you if you could win this game, if you're Memphis, you've got a great path to be in the conference championship game, which is where you want to be at the end of the year. All right, when we come back, we open up hour number three talking NFL. We'll get to the baseball playoffs as well. If there's anything you want to talk about, hit us up on the Sports 56 listener lines by calling in or texting in at 901-360-8255 or send us a message via Twitter. Facebook, YouTube, or on the website, sportsmemphis.com. We talked in Hour 1 about the Grizzlies' win last night in preseason action, beating the Pacers in overtime 127-122. to We can dive back into that. And also, media days for American Conference basketball. This morning in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, in fact, at the Dallas-Fort Worth uh, Grand Hyatt that's right there at the airport. The University of Memphis men's team was picked to finish second behind Florida Atlantic. And the Memphis women's team fifth behind first place South Florida and three others in the preseason coaches polls for the American Conference basketball season. We can dive into that uh, as well when we come back for hour number three. This is Sports 56 Mornings with Greg and Eli on Real Sports Talk, Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. <music> 